I think the my way or the highway approach is really appropriate when um, it's in the best interest of the patient. You know, you know that it would be difficult. It would be risky. You know, there'd be more the long term inappropriate, risky, uh, just not the. Totally. You know, it, it would le- yeah. land you in legal issues. Exactly. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Patrice Rati. I'm Jazz Gulati, and welcome to this, what can I say, it's an awesome episode. Oh my God, VFAN will blow your mind. This is such a real-world topic. There are so many communication gems shared in this episode, and really, when it comes to communication skills, when do they really matter? I mean, yes, it's good to get case acceptance and building value through use of communication, but when it really matters is those tough patients, those confrontations, those arguments that you might have with patients. You know the ones where your heart is racing? Words can really be powerful, and I think communication skills are really tested in those tough scenarios, and we're talking all about those in this episode. When it comes to the word difficult in difficult patients, I was really debating whether to use it or not, because really, Difficult patients are just difficult people, and you get difficult people in every walk of life. Like, if you take an arbitrary figure, like one in 20 people, well, I don't wanna use the A word, so uh, one in 20 people are not nice people, right? Uh, And so one in 20 teachers will not be not nice, one in 20 doctors will be not nice, one in 20 dentists will be not nice, for example, right? So one in 20 of all your patients, may not be the nicest people in the world. And so to deal with these patients, it can uh, be tough. And these patients, we, we class them as maybe difficult. But the funny thing about uh, classing patients as difficult is that what you might perceive as a difficult patient, your colleague, your associate uh, may find that they get along with the patient really well. And you, they think, yeah, what do you mean? Mrs. Smith is completely fine. What are you talking about? So it actually varies dentist to dentist. And so our perceptions are equally important when we th- decide who is quote unquote difficult. There are lots of themes that we cover in this episode. Like for example, patients who coerce you or bully you into doing treatment that you don't feel will work. Patients who are rude. How to write a dismissal letter to these patients. and Like what are the things that you should include in a letter like that. All the way to the end, if you listen all the way to the end, you will get VFAN talking about those patients who are always, always uh, trying to twist your arm for a discount and how to handle objections like that. The protrusive dental pearl I have for you is actually inspired by a conversation I had with V in this episode. This is something that was taught to me by Dr. Raj Rattan, who was my training program director during DF1. And he taught me never to say no to patients. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous because actually I'm saying we should say no to our patients because if someone's being unreasonable or you're feeling bullied in treatment or if it's not in the patient's best interest, then we should definitely be saying no. But what Raj meant by uh, don't say no is Let's imagine a scenario where your patient uh, wants to have some teeth straightening, maybe they want to have a line of treatment, uh, and you'd love to do that for them, but they're neglecting their perio. And because of that reason, they're not yet suitable for orthodontics. What you shouldn't say is, no, we can't do your orthodontics because X, Y, and Z. Patients just hearing the word and, and seeing you as you say no, it doesn't leave a nice image, and they remember that. So why don't we say it in a different way? Why don't we, instead of saying, no, you can't have orthodontics because X, Y, and Z, why don't you say, I would love to do your orthodontics for you. I think we'll get a great result. Your bite will be better. Your ability to clean your teeth will be better. Uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this to you. However, can you see, and then they show the photos, can you see that your gums are looking a bit red? I want you to be proud of this result. I want me to be proud. I want us both to be proud of the result we're gonna get for you in the future. And so that we can get you a really nice result with the bells and whistles, we actually want your gums to be pink and healthy. So that we're ready to, to do this treatment for you, this is what we need to do first. We need to do um, some hygiene, we need to get you to use some incidental brushing, blah 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 and then we're going to do your teeth straightening. How does that sound? Isn't that a much better way than to actually saying no? Now, I mean, what you have, what I have said to the patient is no, you can't have it yet because of your gums aren't quite there yet. But pitching it and phrasing it in a different way can be really powerful. I hope you enjoyed that, Pearl. And hey, if you did, can you do me a favor? If you listen on Apple Podcasts, then please do leave this show a rating. But a new thing now for my Spotify listeners, that if you're listening on Spotify, stop right now, go scroll up and give me a rating. I would really appreciate that because Spotify ratings are a new thing and really help my show to get discovered. So if you give me a rating, I would really appreciate that on Spotify as well. Anyway, I'll stop blabbing and I'll catch you in the outro. V-Fan, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to actually finally be on one of the podcasts. I've listened to them for quite a little while now, so thank you. Uh, it's it's so great to connect with you all the way from, uh, from Melbourne, and we've been exchanging emails, and it's been so great to have your listenership and 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 your contribution now. So I love getting people on who who listen to podcasts because I find that people who actively find something and tune in something, uh, they are connected in a way that you you almost are like a self-selective bunch of people. And what I find is that we are the geekiest uh, of the dentists uh, and uh, this is a, a recurring theme. So I always love uh, interviewing people who, who have actively listened to not just this podcast, but all the dental podcasts and stuff like because I think there's so much we can learn out there. So those people who, who don't know who you are, V, tell us about yourself, V. Where do you practice? What kind of uh, interesting things would you tell me about in the email that you've done uh, yeah. and what we're going to be talking about today? No, definitely. So my name is V. I'm from Melbourne. I actually did my university degree in Cairns, far north Queensland. So James Cook University. I graduated in 2016. I've actually had a private practice since then. So I sort of started running and managing my own practice since I graduated. Um, now we're a fairly big team. So there's about six dentists and a health therapist. Uh, we have three chairs running and we open seven days. So fairly busy practice. And as you can imagine, post-COVID, everyone's coming in. But it's really interesting. It keeps me on my toes um, and, I, and I do love it. But uh, since then, I've actually got into a little bit of public um, sector work as well. Um, as I was telling you, and what really got me into this podcast was I actually started listening to your podcast on the drive to the regional community clinics where I would teach uh, fourth and fifth year dental students. So I drive up to Ballarat, it's hour and a half. So your um, episodes actually worked really well. It's like about 52 minutes to an hour. <laughs> um, and have my coffee and, you know, definitely such interesting topics and it's always sort of changing and hearing all the different speakers. So I do a bit of teaching out in Ballarat. Um, I've also recently taken another teaching position. So I'm one of the senior dentists at the Royal Dental Hospital in Melbourne. And there's a dental teaching clinic in the dental hospital. So part of my role is sort of supporting the students, the supervisors and demonstrators out there and trying to create a better environment for the teaching clinic. So it's really new to the role um, and it's super interesting to be able to see, I suppose, the public and private um, facets of dentistry. Um, as I told you as well, I uh, did a bit of extra studies after I graduated. So I recently completed my Masters of Health Medical Law at Melbourne University. So Amazing. thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it doesn't mean that I can qualify as a lawyer or have, you know, represent clients, but it means I have a special interest in medical legal, dental legal factors. I've got a bit of extra knowledge um, when it comes to that. I think it's quite helpful in both private and public. Um, I was lucky enough to be the president of the Melbourne Law Masters Student Association when I was there. So that was a really Amazing. great way to sort of interact with, um, you know, different um, students, part of the university, and currently um, I'm on the Australian Dental Association Oral Health Committee, um, and that's mainly about promoting oral health, which I'm, I'm passionate about. So I should say I do love dentistry, um, and I think for today as well, um, you know, having done my medical law master's, it, it's, it is interesting to see things from a patient perspective. Well, I like to uh, uh, just extract uh, um, the origin stories of people who come on because yeah. some of the themes that we cover is uh, so relevant to young dentists listening. So one thing I just want to just uncover a little bit more on all the yeah. lovely things you said there is what inspired you to take your career trajectory you know, as someone who's running a busy practice now as well to also, I mean, the teaching bar I get because I, I love that as well. But tell me about how you have now deviated a little bit towards the, the, the medical law side of things. What, what drew you to that aspect? To be honest, um, if I hadn't done dentistry, I would have done law. So I'd always had the interest in, you know, I'd, I'd always been interested for me, but in year 12 or, you know, and that's when we sort of finished high school to go on to and do undergraduate studies. Um, I actually got the privilege of working as a receptionist for the dental clinic. And I think that sort of took my interest out by being hands on. And, you know, I was assisting and the dentist that I worked for, he was super passionate about it. You know, he'd make a feeling be like a really cool thing. He'd come in be like, oh, that's the blue etch and the light cure. And, you know, for me being, you know, 17 year old, I was super excited. And I thought, you know, this is something I wanted to do. But I always wanted to do law. I loved reading. I found it really interesting. Um, and so for me to be able to do something, and you know, when you've been a few years out and you do all these CPDs, you think, well, can I do something that, you know, I'm really interested in that's a bit different, that's a bit dentistry related, but not really. So I thought, you know, I'll take the plunge and do the law master's. And I did think maybe at some point I'd want to be a lawyer and maybe I would do the law master's and see, but definitely getting a taste of that. I don't think, um, you know, I would end up doing a JD or a bachelor of laws, definitely not anytime soon. 
Um, and I think I'm just kind of taking it back now and focusing on, on a bit of the public sector work too. Great. Well, I think any dentist who's thinking about the next uh, step in their career, it's really good to have a, a level of self-awareness like you had. I think it's a great thing to have, but figuring out you know, who you are and what your interests are. And so you already knew about this potential um, law career that you could have had, but you know, you got yeah. swayed by your experiences. Yeah. But now you're, it doesn't mean that you can't have aspects of that in your own life. So I love that totally. you married those two yeah, together. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, the you. message there for anyone listening is... Um, Think back to before you applied dental school, you might have had other interests. How can you now bring that in to profession to, to keep that, uh, so that fire alive in, the, in a different interest that you can have, I think? No, definitely. And we're so lucky with dentistry. There's a lot of flexibility with dentistry. Um, you know, sometimes with the hours we have, we have time to do part-time studies. And there's so much to dentistry. Like there's such an artistic, my associate dentists, some of them are super artistic. You know, they're doing pottery and things they like. I have a friend who pursued an wow. acting career while being a dentist and we have you know that ability sometimes so I was really privileged to be able to do something like this medical law masters and be able to sort of marry it like you said with dentistry. Well today I'm so excited to talk to you about a really really crucial topic this is something that's gonna probably get people's uh, heartbeats racing when they start <laughs> thinking and recalling uh, about certain patient interactions because it is about handling difficult patients. Now uh, if a regulator listens to this uh, episode I would like to say that all the themes covered in this podcast uh, all the, the scenarios are fi completely fictional uh, and this is for uh, improving the, the, the profession <laughs> and how we communicate with patients and how to get better rapport with patients that's the, the purpose of this episode so uh, any likeness to any patients who may listen to this is completely fictional and coincidental so I thought uh, you know in, in movies they have that it's really important to have <laughs> that sort of yeah. <laughs> disclaimer as well so wow <laughs> what a big topic right so handling firstly this, this label V you know I was, when I was emailing I was reflecting afterwards like is it fair that we label these patients as difficult patients? Because essentially, they're just, you know, d difficult in the perception of the dentist because one dentist might find the patient uh, very, very difficult, let's say in quotation marks, whereas someone else might uh, get along with them really well. So really, there's, a, there's something else going on. So the, the first question I want to pose is, what are the challenges we face uh, in terms of um, getting along with our patients in, in the view of especially the first five years? Because I can share you some stories, I'm sure you have as well. What are the big challenges young dentists face in terms of patient interactions and communications that makes us have this kind of conversation now about difficult patients totally i think one of the biggest things is comes to building rapport and one of the first key things is gaining trust so i find that the difficult patients we encounter um they come in straight off the bat through the door oh i hate the dentist you know oh the last dentist i had he tried to rip, rip me off or you know oh it was gave me so much pain i'm so scared the dentist i really don't want to be here and it's hard as a young dentist, you might have had a long day yourself, reception's just booked in this toothache patient, you know, you're tired, you're fatigued, you might have had a complex case, and this patient walks in and tells you how much they hate you. And people don't realise how tough it is, you know, for, for a young dentist to deal with. And, and you know, they come in, they're upset. Um, now, with these patients, what we have to think about is they've come in and they've most of them have had really bad experiences in the past. So they might be those patients that, you know, they've been into with an older dentist or they, whatever they say may be exaggerated or may be completely true. So what's really difficult is to be able to turn this patient around, completely change their perceptions of dentistry, gain their trust, make them like you again, and then still deliver a good, you know, clinical outcome. So it is really tricky. And I just want to say maybe, you know, a little note or a tip in, in these cases is, you know, if you really are trying to win these patients over, you definitely need to give them a completely different patient experience than what they've had before and a unique patient experience. Because if you do, it really changes the perception and their outlook. And it's tricky to do. But these patients, who, if they're genuine about you know, how awful the experiences are, it, it's just a little thing. Now, not every young dentist may have this, or not many at all, but um, you know, our dental chair is pink and it has a massage in it. So it has a massage function. So nice. a patient will come in and, you know, they'll sit there and, you know, for example, if they say, oh, you know, I hate going to the dentist. And I'll just make a joke, keep it lighthearted. And I think with these patients, you, you know, you really do need to do that. And I'll just say, oh, I bet you the last dentist didn't have a pink chair with a massage function. In it. <laughs> and I I, and you don't And you don't need to have a massage chair, but whatever it is in the room or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, and even scrub caps. 
find something that's a little bit different and just make it lighthearted because do you see their expressions, their tone change when you, you do it? And I know, and I love your podcast because you're always, there's a lot of jokes in them. And, you know, with the way, if you're dealing that with patients, it's completely different. And I think with technology, what we have actually can make such a big difference. So something as simple as an intraoral camera, you know, I big take, time. And it, and it's not, you know, you don't have to get the whole kit and caboodle out, which you can, which is great. But if you're wanting something quick, intro camera, most chairs sort of come with them now, take little photos, even just your x-rays that you put on the monitor in front of them. Some of these patients have never had a dentist go through and point out these things, and it's about interacting with them. I find the issues with gaining trust with patients is there's a breakdown in communication somewhere, and it's really easy to miscommunicate the patient if you're not interacting with them. If you're talking at them, then, you know, you don't know how much they understand. You don't know how interested or how involved they are. And when you interact with them and you say, this is this cavity, what, and actually what you really should say is you point to control photo and say, what is that to you? What do you see? And then they think about it. They're like, hold on, that's brown. That's, you know, I think there's a cavity. I think there's a hole starting and they own the problem. And it's no longer, you know, oh, this dentist made me get 10 fillings. I don't know why. It's about, mm -hmm. I need to go to the dentist because I have these areas, this dentist showing me and I know what they are. So it's definitely making that experience. And it can be as simple as, you know, showing them these things. But I think one of the things to gaining patient trust is patient education. There's breakdown in communication often when the patients don't trust you and they're not educated enough because if they were, they wouldn't hate going to the dentist because they know how important it is. They would value the visits because they know it's like going to a doctor. I need this. Um, and patients just, that wasn't, I suppose, um, they, that didn't come through to them. So I think gaining trust is really difficult, but there are definitely little things that we can do in order to help patients with that. Trust is something that you, you gain in, in tiny little drops, but when yes. you lose it, you lose it in buckets. It's one of those things. So uh, it's, it's such a hard um, thing that we have to do. And you're completely right. One of the key factors I found in practice it is the intraoral camera. And I think it's just worth elaborating on that because a huge percentage, unfortunately, of the dentists who are even listening right now will just never get around to getting their hands on an intro camera. And just like you said, it's so widely available. So the one I usually recommend is like, it's on Amazon. It's like 150 pounds. So, you know, yeah. I'll $250 or whatever. It's so inexpensive. Every uh, time I, uh, I drill into caries, before I do, I'll always take a, a pre-op photo of that. Uh, yeah. As soon as I find the caries and the, find the brown uh, ADJ, I'll take a photo of that. And then once I've done the cavity uh, prep, and then I show the patients afterwards. Uh, and that is just uh, amazing because you're right. You have that patient that says, oh, I don't think I needed 15 fillings. It's because the dentist never showed they're working out. So something that we spoke about in communication before is like show you're working out. And I love yes. that you, you, you say yes. that. Yes, uh, it's, it's all about education. Yeah, totally. And also show them the filling, uh, like take a photo of the filling afterwards. And I like to put side by side or as you do the stages, they so do before and then maybe in between and then the final. And every filling, even though you know, they're adequate, they might not have the best anatomy, it looks so much better. And patients are pretty wowed by it. Like, you know, most patients and be able to see it and see, look, they actually went in and did the filling. Like, yes, they showed me that needs to be done. But yeah, patients really appreciate it. And sometimes they, you know, don't know what they're seeing when it's all the way back there. So it is really valuable. And look, it might be difficult if your clinic doesn't have an intraoral camera. But like you said, you can buy a USB one, connect it in. Um, it seems that if you don't have an intraoral camera, you probably have the digital or a lot of, um, I think, you know, even students I know have it. Um, new grad dentist so use that type of camera um, and if you know you really don't have access to anything um, you know use a whiteboard draw things out to patients use a mirror show them and I have them point out where you know where are the cavities show me um, you can interact that way or also using your x-rays so there are definitely ways to um, you know educate patients are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely 
absolutely nothing. We worked so hard on this protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. And just like you said, it's about the co-diagnosis and, and getting them involved. Uh, you yeah. also mentioned about how uh, when patients, when they internalize the values, uh, and that's important. And you mentioned about uh, doctors. Now, one reflection I had, and, and sometimes I like to uh, give my guests uh, some questions in advance. Now, this one's a bit of a curveball at you. I hope you don't mind. Okay. But this is <laughs> a higher level. This high, I was really reflecting. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. like, if if... Like the, the the times I struggle the most with with, with patients, and thankfully it doesn't happen so much uh, anymore, is lack of rapport and the fact that, that that patient's personality type is so different to mine. So, uh, I mean, take, taking one step back even further, yeah. I find that your patients uh, become a reflection of you. So if you've been practicing in, enough in one place, the patients come and, and the, the personality type of the patients that you attract and you retain are similar to you. So if, if you're an introvert, quiet dentist, you'll find that the quiet patients will, will come to you maybe. Uh, and then if you've got the, the crazy patients, like all my patients are crazy, mad, bonkers, positive <laughs> energy. Can't, and and, and, and my, my nurses notice this. Like, Hang on a minute. Your, your patients are like this. So your patients are a reflection of you. So if you're getting poor quality patients, that could be something down to the way you communicate and the, and the image you project. So it's important to... A, be yourself and, and project your, your true self because otherwise if you're acting the whole time and you're not staying true to yourself, you'll totally. end up being depressed and then you'll find that you attract those patients. Now, when I find a patient who I just don't have that connection with, here's the dilemma now I'm going to throw at you, V, because when a uh, cardiac surgeon has to see a, a, a patient, that patient may still be a difficult patient, but at the end of the day, they need this life-saving surgery, right? Yeah. And now you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a um, cardiac surgeon saying, no, I'm not, I don't like this patient because they're, 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 they're difficult. Um, I'm not going to treat them. It just wouldn't happen. You, they, they need this life-saving thing, right? Whereas in dentistry, one of the themes I want to cover with you, V, is when do you think it's acceptable? And then also later on, we can cover about how do you tell the patient, like what kind of stuff do you write in a letter to say that actually we've had a breakdown in a relationship, we can't mm-hmm. continue. But then is it fair that we do this to our patients when actually it's, it's healthcare? This is the higher level um, uh, moral uh, ground I'm, I'm, I'm covering here. So what can, any, any thoughts that you have on this? Yeah, totally. Look, there are definitely cases where I think emergency cases, and when I say emergency cases, they've come in and they might not be the happiest patient. But if you can provide, you know that you provide safe treatment, for example, they've got a facial swelling, right? Or let's say periodontal abscess. The tooth is not close to any, you know, difficult you know, anatomical landmarks. You know, you can safely take it out. The patient's, you know, not the happiest, not your type of, not your cup of tea. But I think in emergency situations, you should always try and do the treatment, okay? If you know you can do it safely. If you, if you, yeah. if you know that they need it, but it is really close to a sinus or whatever it is, then you should still consider referring whether, you know, do they need antibiotics? When you're, you're, whenever you're not seeing the patient yourself or providing that treatment, you always need to make sure that they've got some referral pathway and you're not, you're leaving out in the wind. So if there's a patient mm. that has an emergency treatment and let's say they're a difficult patient, so you're less likely to want to do a, you know, a procedure where there's a higher risk, say of OAC, right? I'll call the, you know, the, you know, the oral surgeon, and say, look, you know, I've got this patient. Has been so I show the patient that I care. I can't do this treatment for you. You know, it is. You know, I think that it's a high risk situation. I want the safest and best possible outcome. I, since I can't do it for you, let me try my best to find someone who can. And they see me on the phone, and I talk them through it, and I say, look, he's really busy. Just give me a moment. And they sense that. And they think, wow, this must be really serious. It must be really difficult that she's going out of her way to call a surgeon. And, and you know, I, I find that when they sh- you can see that you've done all these things, they're less likely to care that you didn't do it. Um, you know, if I can't get along to the private oral surgeon, sometimes I'll call the reg at the local hospital, MaxFax reg, and just say, hey, this patient's got a facial swelling. Or I just, you know, I write them a referral. And sometimes in some cases, when I know how bothered they are about something and I couldn't give something to them, I just don't charge them the consult. And, you know, I'm, you've come all this way. Usually I charge this fee, but, you know, I'm sorry I can't do this for you. And usually when they see that, they're like, look, she wasted her time too. Or, I, you know, and when, I, when sometimes patients do give you that, they say, look, I've come all this way, I've wasted my time. And I just nicely say, look, this is your x-ray. You know, this is for you. You can take that. I'll email it to you. You've got a copy. And, to, and I know it seems like a waste of time, but I think you've come out of this knowing your issue, what you need to do. And I'm not going to charge you for the consult. And I've had patients mm-hmm. take a step back and they say, you know what, no, I'm sorry, you're right. I did get something out of this. It's sometimes they sort of say things off the cuff. Now, in non-emergency situations, how you would deal with that is, you know, you deal with the emergency 
or they've come in and they're not in pain or whatsoever, then I feel like it's warranted to, you know, do your checkup. They've come in for a checkup or to do your checkup and clean. In most cases, I think something like that is fine. You come up with a comprehensive exam and usually I sort of do like a multidisciplinary approach. So if it's a patient, I don't think maybe necessarily suitable for me. Um, you know, there are specialists. So I give them options sometimes the perio. I refer to different specialists. If I find there is a certain type of patient and because I have such a big team as well, um, I know a lot of us, we're all sort of quirky, different personalities. And I think, look, this patient, I think is going to gel better with my associate. They're mm. going to get along. They've got like, for example, you know, Alex, my associate, you know, he, he likes computer games or video games. And, and like those patients, sometimes it's hard for me to build rapport with them, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I get the crazy cat ladies because, you know, you might see two of my cats on screen later. Uh, and I totally know what you mean. There are patients you don't gel with, but you might know yeah. someone who gels with them. And then there are cases where you, you might not be able to spoon them off to someone. They, they might want to keep seeing you. Those patients that you think you don't actually gel with, they keep requesting you and they'll come. And sometimes it's a little bit AKA awkward. AKA the, the heart sink patients. <laughs> you see the name in the books and you're like. But I think with those patients, I keep it simple. I don't do any complex work on them because I know, for example, you know, even if it's endo or if it's, if it's, I have to come back. For example, dentures. They're not a good denture patient. You know, the ones that you look at, you know, and you know that they might not even like their treatment outcome. I keep it really simple. So I might see them every six months if they're not a patient that I, I feel like, you know, they're not someone that's necessarily rude. They just don't, you know, they're not your sort of cup of tea and your personal. And so, you know, and I get sometimes the oral health therapist might do the clean or the hygienist will do the clean and I'll come in bits and pieces. So you kind of work around that. Not everyone can necessarily be your cup of tea. And if you think about it, you know, we meet these people, you know, you, you know, like you'll go to doctors, we'll go to maybe, you know, a phone company or shop and you might speak to someone and they still, you know, give you what you need and they're not the best person or they, you didn't get along with them. But you can still give this patient whatever it is that they want if they want to keep coming back. But you, I think you should avoid doing the really complex treatment or the ones where you go home at night and you're going to really have that weight on your shoulders. And if they're completely unsuitable, like you said, generally there's, I feel, some sort of maybe inappropriate, whether they've been really rude or they've come in really late. I find it's often not just the fact that you don't sort of get along or they have a different personality, it's a personality clash. I find usually... It's more, you're maybe, right, it's more than that. Yeah, it's usually more than that because I've had patients where you're right, the introvert, the quiet ones, and I can't have a real big chat with them, but they're nice patients. There's nothing wrong with them. They respect me and that's why they keep coming back. But then there's patients that they still see you, but they're rude about it. They'll come in and they'll... And, and that's what makes it uncomfortable or they question your clinical judgment. There's something else there. And those types of patients, they're the trickiest ones. But I find that the best way, if it really isn't something that you can treat them and there's something that's a little bit more like obvious, you know, it is about writing that letter. You know, you sometimes even have to offer and say, look, these are the local practices around your area. You know, we really appreciate you putting that, you know, in the letter or whether you communicate it verbally and provide a written letter and say, we appreciate all the time spent here, but due to, you know, breakdown in communication or, um, you know, our differing sort of opinions and thoughts and, you know, I can't be the best person to provide the care. And I've heard of some dentists who just say that, you know, if they missed a recall or whatever, they're just too busy now in their books, then they just don't have a time to book it in. And that's a little bit awkward and uncomfortable because sometimes mm -hmm. they book online. Um, there's only so many things you can say no and sometimes it's much easier to just say look you know um, and for me as well since I do a lot of teaching I do a lot of things sometimes I'll say to the patient look it's been great having you I have a really big patient load and I find that sometimes you know I really appreciate you coming to see me but when we um, communicate things you don't we're not on the same page and you know and it doesn't have to be because they disagreed with you or there was a big argument or whatever I'm thinking that I'm struggling to communicate this with you and, and you know, I feel I, I feel like I'm just, things are just not so sort of getting through as much, um, whereas I reckon my associate or, you know, this dentist, you know, he could probably explain things better than I can. Um, and patients, you know, tend not to take, it, it is an awkward, honestly, it's so awkward, Jazz, but um, it, it's, it's a, a mental it's a awkward, but thing. I think the approach that you've gone for, V, is, uh, I think you, you were alluding to the letter uh, saying, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> yeah yeah totally oh it's us it's just we yeah like we're not yeah. communicating well together um and yeah and I think sometimes you know I just 
even though they see it in writing. I mean, with some patients, if you tell them verbally as well and you document it in your notes and you say, look, you know, and 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 put it in and and then, you know, you I think legally, ideally, you probably should give them something. But I find, you know, and that's honestly, I think that's a gray area. That's definitely not something that was touched on my medical law masters when it comes to really mm. getting rid of, you know, difficult patients if there's not an actual legal matter. Um, mm-hmm, but mm. in private, um, you know, in the private sector, we, we are privileged. We can pick and choose our patients in a sense. Um, we are a business and, you know, especially when it's not urgent emergency outcomes, we, we do have that ability to not see a patient as long as we're giving them the right referral processes and, you know, giving them the documentation so that they're aware of it and, you know, giving them their notes. So, um, yeah. I, I think at, at the end of the day, um, and also like, you know, with health funds, sometimes I would tell a patient, look, we're not preferred providers, you know, how about, trying, you know, there, there's, you know, uh, other dentists that you'll, you'll save a bit more money at and, and just sort of adding little bits and pieces in it. And I think, you know, patients just, they get the idea. Well, I think you going out of your way to suggest uh, not just that, hey, we're not the best match for you, goodbye, but hey, we might not be the best match, but I think you can still get really good care that's appropriate for you from X, Y, and Z. It, there's a different uh, feeling towards that, that, okay, although they can't help me, they've signposted me to places that can help me. So if you're going to be doing any kind of letter and we'll, maybe we'll make like a template or something, but Vivi, I think that that is so true that you shouldn't just say, we're not the best fit. You should be like, okay, we're not the best fit, but... These places are available, because, so you're not leaving them out uh, in the lurch. But uh, I like the the way you answer this question because, uh, firstly, I agree with all the points you made, and I like your risk based approach. And I'm I'm completely with you on that. That if, uh, and you're right, it's, it's never just the fact that I didn't have um a, I had a personality clash. It's more than that. They were also rude to my nurse, uh, or they uh, they question my 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 diagnosis, and or, or they micromanage the way yeah. um, I'm going to treat yeah. them. So like I had a patient who there was a dentist shadowing me and then uh, the, the dentist comes, it takes a little step closer. I know we're in a pandemic and stuff, but still further and you know, everyone's got PPE on. It's like, don't come any closer. Like, you know, like in a rude way. Uh, yeah, and, and that's yeah. not nice. Uh, and then when I, you know, diagnose caries and then I communicate it, then they're like, okay, well, I, I don't want LA uh, and I would like an amalgam, even though I haven't placed amalgam in six years. And this micromanaging and dictating me, that's where it's never just one thing. It was like four or five little things. Uh, and then henceforth, uh, when I email you back saying, yes, this will make an amazing episode because uh, I, I'm going through this right now in my head. And th- these are, are tough uh, things to face as a dentist. And uh, add on to that, I mean, one thing that you kind of covered a little bit is that those dentists in the first five years, and, and, and V, you look, you, you look so youthful and stuff. Like, you know, uh, my wife had this old, she still gets this, right? You know, she, still, she still gets ID'd. She still gets ID'd for buying alcohol and stuff. Whereas I haven't been ID'd since I was 16 because of my facial hair. But like, dentists, we're like, oh, hey, are you, are you experienced enough? And when, denti- when patients start doubting your expertise based on what you look like, that is another layer of a breakdown in trust. So what advice would you give to, to dentists, young dentists particularly, or, or youthful, youthful looking dentists, these very lucky dentists, uh, who age so gracefully, uh, what advice can you give them when a patient questions uh, your level of experience based on your age and stuff? It's difficult. And honestly, um, question I've had and, you know, my practice is actually really young practice and I totally know what you mean. Look, I think for me, I mean, it's fairly easy because um, I do cosmetic injections. So I'll make a joke about that. And I'll be like, oh, well, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I do, you know, muscle relax injections, anti-wrinkle injections, fillers, don't ask anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, I'll make jokes about that. Or I'll say something, you know, those really awkward, difficult ones and they're judging you. And, they, and, and they're the same ones that say you're a girl, don't take a tooth out. Like you can't, you're not strong enough. You know, those type of patients, mm. they look at you and they're judging. And, you know, you know, it can be, but I'll say things like, oh, you know, it's rude to ask a woman her age. Like, you, you know, that's, yeah, that's a bit mm-hmm. rude. And sometimes, like, what you a know, brilliant they'll strategy. Laugh. I love that. I, I, I kind of like, I, I look, I make a joke about it, about it sometimes. And I just like, but it really depends on the type of patient you have. And some patients are a bit more serious, like the older patients, they're not going to appreciate, you know, they're not going to appreciate a joke. And, um, you know, I'll say something like, you know, it's a bit easier when you've had at least a few years. Because you can sort of make it and be like, look, I've, I've been out for a couple of years. And or, you know, what I get my younger dentist to say um, is, you know what, you know, I'm a fairly fresh graduate, but I was lucky enough that I've actually come across these cases a fair bit. And especially the ones that, you know, we, a lot of us went to James Cook and, you know, we saw a lot up there. And I'll say, look, trust me, you know, there's, there's stuff uh, here that, you know, you never, you know, you, you wouldn't see up there. So there's, there's lots of stuff that I've seen, that sort of thing. And then I guess they just reassure because, you know, you might be young, you might be a fresh graduate, but 
clearly you have some experience in these areas. And if it really is to the point where they really, there's patients that won't stop, they'll say, how, when did you graduate? You know, and they, and they won't leave, you know, they won't leave you to it. And look, you know, at that point, we can choose to be like, look, you know, this patient, they just need to see a senior dentist. You need to refer them to someone more senior in the practice because you can't, you know, put up with this. You, you know that it's going to be hard no matter how good your work is. It won't be as good as whoever looks older than, than you. Um, but sometimes you can say things like, you know, look, I only had, you know, a couple of years, you know, I, we did this for five years, but I did three years of practical experience and I was one of the fortunate ones that managed to get a couple of hundred extractions during my time. So it's something I'm fairly comfortable with. And usually, you know, and sometimes it's sad that sometimes you have to explain yourself, but it you can do that. Um, and, you know, sometimes, like I said, you can make a joke out of it. You sometimes can deflect it. Um, and sometimes you can just refer them on to someone else. It's really tricky. And I have an associate dentist that literally still looks like he came out of high school. And what, sometimes when patients make jokes about how young he is, because we have a big sort of, um, you know, photo of all everyone and stuff. I'll make a joke like, yeah, he literally graduated high school yesterday. And they'll just laugh about it. And they'll think <laughs> he's probably older than, you know, he's clearly much older. So it's sometimes just a bit lighthearted. And patients come in when they question you. Sometimes they're just a little bit agitated and anxious. Um, and one funny thing I've had one time is with one of my dental assistants, I had a patient who said something like, you're a girl, you know, don't, you know, you're not strong enough to take this tooth out. So I stood up, I may, I may have been in a mood jazz and I was like to the patient, um, well, Hugh, my dear, he's a guy, he's a pretty strong guy. I'll let him take the tooth out and I'm just going to go grab a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, I oh. love that. I love and, that. And Hugh, and he's, and he's a really funny assistant as well. He'll get on there and he'll like, you know, he'll do it. And then, you know, we just all have a laugh about it. The patient's like, no, 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 um, sorry, my, my bad. <laughs> So that I is think... a fantastic story. I love how you did that. But I, what you also did is, and this will be very memorable, you know, when you say something funny, people can remember this uh, and people could use these jokes. But what you've given us here is three or four tools. Uh, I wasn't expecting such a brilliant answer, but you've essentially you've given tools that we can use. So it could be humor. It could be referral. It could be reassuring the patient because sometimes the patient is just scared. They're just yeah. scared uh, yeah. and they just need that reassurance. And they, when you just say that one sentence, like, don't worry, I've done this loads of times before. And that's all they want to hear. And, and that's, yeah. all it, that's, that's all it is. Uh, but then when the patient's being persistent, having the, the guts to, to stand up to them and, and refer them or to, to, to ooze confidence. I mean, I, I speak to you now, Vi, I, I love the way you communicate. I think you're a fantastic communicator. And I think it's, oh, it's the confidence as well. It's having, just speaking with confidence and, and yeah. the patients love to see that. And they really, they can smell it. So when you are anxious about that extraction or when you are lacking experience and you're maybe not communicating uh, confidently because you're not yet confident in that, in that procedure or in that type of scenario yet patients will sniff it uh, and maybe that's the point to either get some mentorship and or refer that case or or, or or just you know see the situation be aware of the situation and use that as a, as a learning curve going forward I think totally and you know what else Jazz? it's great to be confident in saying you can do something but be confident when you say you can't do something so you know yes. and 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 I have had, you know, patients and, you know, had students sort of watch me observe and, and I am fairly confident and I've been lucky enough to be like that since I think only child things since, um, since, I, since I graduated even. Um, but I'm really <laughs> confident when I say this is a really tricky case. Look at that root. Look at that sinus. Look, I don't think, I, we, you know, we should really be doing this. I think it's a case for an oral surgeon. And when you confidently tell them how difficult it is, they'll also really take it on board. So they don't think, oh, you know, she's not doing it today. She's saying no to me. I have to go to someone else. They think, oh, man, it must be really, really tricky. But if you're sitting there like umming and ahhing and saying, oh, we could give it a go. I'm, I'm not sure about this. Then they're like, is it really that difficult or is it her or, mm, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you really can't do it and you commit to it and you say, look, this is what you need and I might not be able to do it for you or this is beyond what a general dentist should do, and you really say that to them, you know, that, that, and a lot of them are like, no, yeah, no brainer. That that does that sounds tricky. Yeah, of course I'll go. It, it's communicating with conviction, just like you said. So yeah. e whether you can do it or you can't do it, just be uh, just be clear in your communication yeah. with conviction. Totally. Say it with confidence, and, and that, that is a great little pearl there as well. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, I've got so much to cover with you, V. This is going really well. I'm really enjoying our chat. Um, let's talk about the my way or the highway approach. So my background is that I'm at a stage now 
where I'm getting more selective about my patients. And, and it's yeah. going back uh, to maybe 15 minutes ago, I mentioned that scenario about the, the cardiac surgeon. And ultimately, I just want to say to everyone, and I, this is not to, um, this is not to, I guess, uh, underappreciate dentistry in any way. But it's just teeth, guys. It's just teeth. Okay, it's just teeth. We're not, you know, we're not dealing with heart surgery, thankfully. And this is why the risk-based approach that V said works. And remember that general dentists. I think most people listening are general dentists. We have the most difficult job in dentistry as general dentists. And let us let us appreciate that one of the best things about being a general dentist dentist is being able to cherry pick. It's okay to cherry pick. It's what's, yeah. if, if we didn't cherry pick, we'd go insane. So yeah. it's about um, knowing when to refer and when to treat uh, and to remember that. But now I've come to a stage, V, where I'm very much like, in, in not in all cases, like I, I give my patients the option stuff and, and if they choose a reasonable option, then yeah, great, I'll do it. But if my patients start micromanaging me and making me feel uncomfortable in any way, I'm very much with that patient, listen, it's my way or the highway uh, and, I'm, and I'm happy to communicate communicate that confidently it took me some years to get to this stage so I've had some struggles and stuff and uh, coming home and feeling like crap uh, mm-hmm. because of the, the communication struggles we all go through that but what do you think about this my way or the highway approach and how can you do it in a way that's not going to land you a negative Google review uh, or, or land you in trouble yeah yeah look I definitely think there's a place for my way or the highway exactly like you said you know and I think the places where it is important is when you're being pressured pressured or bullied into treatment especially you know young dentists you know and um especially when they're saying just things like you know i want invisalign and they've got gum disease you know things like that you know, i just want straight teeth i want white teeth but they've got cavities everywhere i think the my way or the highway approach is really appropriate when um it's in the best interest of the patient you know you know that it would be difficult. It would be risky. You know, there'd be more sort of long term inappropriate, risky, uh, just not the. Totally. You know, it, it would le- yeah. it land you in legal issues. Exactly. And one thing I just want to say is it doesn't matter if the patient signs on a piece of paper or you document patient warned that they're gum, you know, they've got gum disease, patient informed, patient persisted anyway, patient agrees, understands. It doesn't matter what they sign, what they write, uh, and that they genuinely agree that the time and the hand over the money, you are the professional, you're the clinical expert. You do that treatment, you're going to own it. And if something were to fail, it doesn't matter that they were warned. You're the professional with more knowledge and expertise and you should have known better than to have done that. So it really doesn't matter. Um, And even patients will say stuff like, oh, trust me, just put the crown on. It's been fine. And you know that there's pathology on it. And it might have not been painful. And they're like, just put on, like, I love you as a dentist, just go for it. But, you know, (laughs) down the track, if something were to happen, you know, and they're definitely not your friend when they're in pain. No, no one's your friend when, when, when you've caused them pain. Um, and I think it's a pl- completely different situation. So I think my... And patients very quickly forget, don't they, uh, V, about oh. the conversations that you had or what they signed. They very quickly forget when, when things go yes. wrong. Yes, they, they do. And honestly, even if they said, to be honest, like, I, I, know, I know it's a time and it still doesn't matter because you should know better is, is the, I guess. So I guess, yeah. So I think my way the highway is really important. You have to stick to your guns when you know that, you know, it's, it's the ethical thing to do. Um, and but I must say as well, though, you do, there is a way of doing it. Um, and sometimes it can be difficult not to, I guess, be a bit too harsh. It's about being firm, but I suppose not harsh or offensive. And it can be really difficult when they're arguing with you mm. or you've been an hour explaining something. You know, when you explain something for like fine half line, an hour, isn't it? it is. And they come back and ask you the same question. So I can't do my invisalign, you know, and you've gone through all the gum disease and the bone and the bleeding. Um, and it's really tricky. And I think, you know, the best thing is always listen to them and don't, I suppose, speak for too long because they don't get the chance to, I suppose, ask questions or, you know, they it's too much information overload. So you're sort of addressing each key point. Have open body language when you do this because let's say you're trying to tell a patient and you've got your arms crossed, you know, it's a different situation. You're leaning away from them as opposed to towards them and open and involving them, you know, and, and, and sometimes can make it a bit lighthearted. Like, oh, I really just don't want your teeth to fall out. That's all it is, you know, or I, I take so much pride and show the passion. I take so much pride in my work. You know, I just, I couldn't settle for treatment that I know is going to fail. Couldn't do that to you. Just couldn't do that to you, you know, I and you just, that. I love and, that. and you really just sort of, you know, sort of empathize and you make it in a way that it's my way, the highway in the sense that, you know, it's, it's for you. But I think one thing I really want to, I guess, emphasize is we can be all my way, the highway, but we can never, ever take away patient autonomy. So even if you know mm. what's in the best interest of the patient, 
you're still going to give them all the treatment options. They must make that decision. You don't make it at any point, and you know, in most, you know, pretty much every general dentist knows this. You don't make that decision for the patient. You should never do that. Um, and you know, but, but, I but think... it's worth pointing out, V, for the young dentist in you know, a lack of experience, that okay, yes, we must discuss all the options, but uh, it's all the appropriate options which are which are suitable uh, that um, yes. um, would yes. would fulfil the patient's goals and would be clinically appropriate as well. Yes. Uh, and so sometimes I find that um, you know, patient comes in and they say, um, I, I don't want a denture, I definitely don't want a denture, uh, and, I, and I need to do something right now. And then when I see the, the dentist letters, uh, they say, well, your options are do nothing, a denture, and then they go the rest. Well, actually, no, that doesn't that would they wouldn't be appropriate. But I guess yes. medical legally in the environment, I see why they're mentioning it. But remember to keep it appropriate for, for, for that case for your patient. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it was in one of your episodes as well. Like how many, like 78 ways or something to fill a tooth. Or Yeah, if you listen to every possible thing. Um, yeah, of course. It has to be clinically relevant. And if it was a medical legal case, if you're offering silly, you know, sort of options or options that really aren't clinically appropriate, you know, it, it's not it's not great. You want your notes to be succinct. Um, you know, in, in that type of legal setting. So, yeah, so totally. It has to be clinically appropriate. But I think with the My Way, the Highway, it would be pretty, I suppose, inappropriately used if it was My Way, the Highway, because that's what I'm good at and that's the only option mm. that you're getting. So mm. let's say a patient, for example, we're going, you know, bring back to Invisalign. They don't offer fixed orthos. So every patient that comes to the door, Invisalign is the best thing for you. My Way, the Highway, take it or leave it. That would be pretty clinically inappropriate. Um, it would be, look, this is what I'm good at in my hands. You know, that's my experience in clinical expertise, but it's worth getting a second opinion because I don't offer metal braces here, you know, and, and having that conversation with them, whether they choose to take the second opinion or not, sometimes I actually encourage them to, because mm. in a medical legal setting, for example, whatever it is, if you've referred a patient to a specialist or another, and they've come back to see you again, and you've gone ahead and done it, it's a little bit different than if they've gone ahead and it's failed, because they are well aware, they've sought another opinion, and you said the best thing was, a tr I always say ideal option, you know, see an orthodontist. Next one, I can do this, this is within my expertise, but get a second opinion. And then they come back to you anyway. And it's also that faith, that trust. So it is, I suppose, well-rounded in that sense. But definitely not my way or the highway because you don't know how to do another treatment option or you don't want to, you don't like dentures, so that, that, that patient gets the bridge. Um, but it's my way, the highway, in the end, it's more of an ethical thing. It's what you're comfortable with. You don't want to be pressured. And you do it in a sensitive manner, in an open manner. And sometimes it's really hard to keep our cool. It, it can be, especially if you had a long day. But we do have to rise above it as professionals. We are expected not to, you know, engage in arguments, unfortunately. And that's the job. You have to be patient about it. And you want to, but you just, you know, that's something that you – chat over a podcast or you, you call up a friend and you talk about it. it's not something that you do in the day and it's and it's tricky um but yeah i think that's the best way to approach it you you mentioned those uh, um levels of consent i guess and it reminded me like with a patient if you only do invisalign and then that's all you offer i, I love that you highlight that and we actually covered that in one episode which i just remember and guys you should listen to this because i spoke with mandy Goss, a specialist orthodontist and he spoke about that exact scenario v about okay. um the three levels of consent so if you only just offer invisalign that's like the the worst level of consent what he recommended was to say was that okay you can have uh, invisalign you even if you don't do it you should know about uh, fixed braces and talk about that and then maybe if, there, if there's a restore option be like there, there is this restorative option it can build up your teeth and stuff now you don't tell them yet ideally that you don't do that yet but you 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 you, you when they pay when the patient thinks you know what i quite like this idea so great i know yeah. exactly the right person for you that is a really good yeah. way to do it and, and and just accepting the fact that you can't be everything to everyone you have your little micro niche but just yeah. because you have that niche doesn't mean that every patient you know if all you see uh, it, 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 if all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah. we definitely want to stay away from that type yeah. of dentistry and the other reflection i had as you were saying uh, all those lovely things was um uh, in specifically when you're communicating with patients we mentioned uh, about having that difficult conversation about my way or the highway. And one thing I remembered is something that uh, Raj Rattan, uh, seven or eight years ago, he taught me that don't say no to patients because patients remember you saying no. So when you said V to a patient that, okay, um, I want Invisalign, but then you're like, no, but the, the, the gums aren't healthy. Uh, a really, And you, you actually do the same thing because you mentioned it. The better way to say it was like, like I would love to, to do this for you. So I would love to do Invisalign for you. Um, uh, but I want you to be 
have lovely gums so that you get a fantastic result. I want you to have a brilliant result from this. So that we can do this, we need to go for X, Y, Z process. So you're not saying, no, you can't Invisalign. You're saying, I would love to do Invisalign once your gums are healthy. So it's a, it's a different way to do it. So patients uh, yeah. perceive that in a different way, in a more positive light. And just like you said, in a sensitive manner. So I think all those little uh, communication tips that we, we gain are so important. And that's when your communication really gets challenged in those heated moments. Yes. Yeah. And I, I haven't actually listened to that podcast yet, so I really need to. <laughs> it's really good that you brought it up. Um, yeah, no, that's really good. But, yeah, and even when I say things when it's a root canal or it's a difficult case that I can't do or it's a, a tooth that I think is, needs an oral surgeon, I would love to do it. Um, but it's in that tricky spot. And, you know, you bring it back to the patient as well. I would love to, but, you know, the gums and bones, it's all the foundations. Uh, you know, your gums are the foundations of your teeth and it's just like when you build a house, you need the foundations to be good. Um, and yeah, so I think it's, um, you know, analogies as well and sort of showing them like, you know, I would love to do this for you and putting the onus on them. You know, it's not because we don't one, have one to, thing I do yeah. the, uh, just on that note is uh, uh, the way I make put the onus on a patient is when I'm showing the x-ray of their banana shaped root. Um, <laughs> I'm very much emphasizing that your tooth is shaped like a banana and yeah, your yeah. gums are like this so th- that's yeah. my little technique to really make it like that your and like my eyes yeah. go like your it works it works yeah 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 and i say something like it's a shame that your root is right in the sinus like you know i'll say things oh, like, how unlucky know, yeah how, how unfortunate well it just happens to me yeah and then patients get that and you're like oh and they'll be like do you see this very much or you know and then, you know yeah no but it's helpful and that's exactly right you put the onus on them and sometimes it's just that emphasis just a bit of eye contact <laughs> I have to say, like, the time there right now is, like, approaching 9 p.m. where you are. And I love your energy. I don't know how you're bouncing. You must have had so much coffee today. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, well, you, you, you've answered the, the, the main questions. And I yeah. guess I'm going to go back to the letter because a, a big question I see on the dental forums all the time is, like, okay, I've had a breakdown of relationship in the, in the patient uh, and I need, to, I need some sort of letter. So I was thinking that um, um, uh, we're going to make a little a template letter just to help everyone out. They can maybe download or whatever. So um, you mentioned already about a, a few points in that letter and how to, to mention that it's, it's, you know, it's not you, it's me, it's us, the breakdown of relationship in total about offering alternatives. And I love that, that you mentioned that, that actually, okay, or it might not be me, but here are, you know, I'm not going to leave you out in the lurch. Here are some places that you can go to, which I think would, would suit you really well. Or it might be an internal referral to your associate or whatever. Um, yeah. Any other tips that you think would make a really good letter? Um, I actually had to write a fairly, um, it wasn't even a template. It was from a template, but it was a little bit tailored. And I think in some cases with these difficult ones, um, a one-size-fits-all template may, may not work, but it could be sort mm. of structure that you follow. Um, mm. And then it does have to be tailored because every patient is particularly difficult. I remember this one, and um, I had my mentor help me, actually. And I had a, um, a mentor that I've worked with, and he's actually 70. Um, his name's Harry. He's awesome. And, you know, he'd, he'd help out one day a week. Um, and he's also helping when you grads out now, so it's awesome. But I remember him writing something about yellow pages. Like, I don't know if you guys have... Do you have you have yellow no, pages? Yeah, we had yellow pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. it's like this mm-hmm. old, like, I don't think, does anyone ever use the yellow pages? And I was like, Harry, we can't put yellow pages. Like, go look up the dentist in the yellow pages. That, that's so was, year 2000, oh 1990s. Oh, so funny. Like, I don't remember. Like, it's a big book. But, um, you know, for us, we have, like, health engines. So there's, like, locals that they can look up and you say Google. Um, I think tips would be don't make it too long and don't make it emotional. Don't also talk mm. about any specific clinical things such as, and you should never do this in a Google review, by the way. If you're answering a negative Google review, don't say, um, but your tooth this or you presented with this. That's clinical. Confidentiality that's, breach, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's not something that's appropriate um, in these type in, of in letters. In a public forum. Yeah. Yes. Public forum or, you know, even in this personal letter, I think keep it um, you know, non-emotional and don't have it too long. And keep it simple. So, dear such and such. Um, and I think for those that don't present often, like they FTA a few times and they don't make it to their appointment, they're a little bit easier. You can just say, you've missed this appointment, that appointment, due to the appointment schedulings, et cetera. You know, we've had to, unfortunately, um, discharge you or, you know, you're, you're, you can't, can no longer have you present back to these appointments. Um, you know, we're more than happy to put you on a wait list for future reference. Otherwise, in the meantime, you know, you can see such and such or have a look and thank you for you know the visits you've had or wish you all the best that sort of thing so that's possible if they present at every appointment 
um, and, and you know, for whatever reason, then you might have to allude to it. So, you know, thank you for, you know, continued support of the years. Unfortunately, due to, um, you know, a couple of maybe incidents of breakdown in communication, um, you know, we've realised that we're unable to offer you the best care um, and such that we think it's best that you discontinue the treatment here with us. So it's very simple, like a paragraph if not, and we mm-hmm. recommend that you visit these um, area, uh, you know, these uh, look for these sort of clinics or you know go on these search engines. Sometimes what else I do is um, you know you can refer to a specialist as well. Um, in some cases where you know you specialist management and you write them a referral to a specialist, and then you can even have that chat with the specialist beforehand and say, look, these are the issues, and um, you know the specialist can sometimes chat to them. But it does make it a bit complex because they'll still come back to you for the checkup. And if that's something you really, really don't want to do, then you will have to discharge them. But I definitely think keep it simple, keep it non-emotional, don't put any clinical things and don't have them read it. You shouldn't be something that makes them, um, I suppose, angry, upset when they read it. It just is plain mm. and simple, um, just unable to continue the care with you and, and you know, um, thank you for, you know, whoever support you provide us and then you just sort of sign it and put it there and just, yeah, just break down a communication or um, we're unable to offer the complex treatments that you may require. Um, and, and I think, yeah, keep it like that. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. And I, I, think, I think it's good yeah. that you mentioned to keep it concise and non-emotional because yeah. the default thing to do is that as you're typing this, all your emotions, you're, you're, you're remembering those conversations yeah. and that yeah. you definitely don't want to be in that state of mind. And so I think no. the antidote to that is to keep it as simple and as plain English as possible. Uh, so, so that's a, a great tip there. And I think we should all remember that. Hopefully, you know, we're not going to be doing too many of these letters. It's the, it's the odd time, which is why I think you're right, you know, to have an element of, uh, yeah, you can follow a structure and make sure you've got a checklist so you don't forget to recommend other places and you don't forget these little things maybe a checklist would be more appropriate but definitely uh, don't uh, well definitely do make it tailored to that individual uh, person I've heard of some practices sending it by registered post like you know some patients pretending they didn't receive these letters and they just turn up and you know it gets really awkward because then you know then you give it to them in person but I think emails you know you can do sent receipts so you know they've received it um, because sometimes patients will come back and say, look, I, I never got it. You didn't discharge me. I need you to do this for me now. So the fact that they, you've got send receipt, if it gets to that point, um, mm, and then just mm. documenting and putting in your notes. Look, I, I've unfortunately had a patient that persisted beyond the letter, um, you know, and it's unfortunate. And I, I had to record further and, you know, there was text, you know, even SMSs they tried to send to the surgery. So I had to put that documented. I had emails screenshotted. It's sad, mm-hmm. um, and the, and yeah. that's and it's hard when they persevere beyond that point. But I think just record everything, keep it concise. And if they're one of those patients that might say they didn't receive it, then just make sure you do it in a way where it, you know they've got red receipts or whatever it is. I, I didn't even consider that, so that's a really good point. Now, I thought my question is: What if a patient was rude to your receptionist, to your nurse, or to, or, or to you? Um, now, you, you said don't make it too specific, but is that? I mean, how do you now put in a letter that hey, you're rude, we don't want you because you're not, you know, this is we don't accept rude behaviour, but then without making them emotionally charged because the person who's rude, they never truly appreciate how rude they were, right? It's, it's one of those things that you, you know they might have been rude, but they're like, no, you, you guys were just unreasonable or you guys are too yeah, sensitive about this, yeah. whatever. So, how, do you think it's, it's worth mentioning about the rudeness? It's, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Sometimes it can be miscommunication or communication breakdown with the team. You can make it just broadly. Um, mm. We have a sign, and I th- apparently, um, and this is more also actually more from you know hearing bits and pieces and what I was actually taught. But you know, you should have a sign that says you know we don't tolerate verbal or physical aggression, whatever verbal zero aggression. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance policy, exactly. And you've got that on the wall, and you know you you can remove them off the premises. So you can verbalize verbal aggression. Or, you know, um, you know, whatever to the team members or, you know, the team members may have felt, you know, uncomfortable. or And sometimes those conversations with those patients, it might be easier, if, especially if they're rude to everyone but you, you just have a conversation with them verbally first. Because when you're the clinician and they're nice to you and not everyone else, they don't realise that you know that they're like this. Mm. Um, and, you know, and then you just, um, and you just say to them, hey, you know, like, and they're usually super nice to you. So you say, hey, look such and such and and I think and you say something like oh I know I know the way you are sometimes you know it might you might be work and you know we have a bit of a laugh but the front desk you know they might not know you as well as I do so let's is it possible and you have to have this conversation with them and it requires quite a mature approach but 
you know, can can you try and you know, just be a bit more respectful or considerate because it is a team environment and, you know, I need them, in, you know, to, to help me out, to fit your appointments in. We all need to work as a team, you and me and, and whoever, and I think it'd be really hard to get you in and book these appointments if we can't sort of work around with everyone. And, and when they're sort of a bit confronted with that, usually they'll probably be a bit more considerate and they're less likely. I, um, yeah. Usually I love if, that. Yeah, I find that if it's they've used everyone else but you, it usually doesn't warrant necessarily a whole letter to kick them out. I think it just needs that one-on-one communication and they're usually caught out because they don't realise that you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, then they're, they're, and then I think they turn it back, especially if they really like you. So um, I actually have had conversations with the patients because I get, I you know, and being a practice owner, I obviously love my team. I don't, yeah, I hate it when patients are rude to them because they're like my family too and they're the ones that stick it out for you. So I have that conversation with the patient and um, usually I think when they realize. And that's the test. That conversation is a test. So how they respond to that conversation will make your decision very easy as to, okay, do they get the letter or, okay, they, they've got their, uh, you know, their, their wrist uh, slapped and they, they're going to behave now. Uh, so that's really yeah. good. But I guess it also depends on um, the level of aggression that was shown to your staff. So I mean, yeah. like sometimes it's so much that you know that, okay, it's not even worth having that conversation and they need yeah. that letter because it was so bad. Uh, but if it was like a small one, a bit of aggression, maybe they've had a bad day, and but you know that actually in the chair, they're usually quite nice and you want to give them a second chance to redeem themselves yeah. and then to, yeah. uh, but to also get the message that, hey, you know what, you've, you've done it once, but never again. So it's, yeah. it's, it's important to get that message. And I think you, you've uh, explained that really well. Uh, v, you've answered my main questions. Uh, thank you so much for, for, wow. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's going to give a lot of value to, to, to you know, young and experienced dentists about how to manage these awkward uh, situations. Uh, anything else you want to mention at all uh, in terms of this theme of handling difficult patients? Um, look, I think, we, I think we went through most of it. Um, one of the things I, I just did want to suggest, I think we, oh, maybe one of the things we didn't mention is it can be really difficult when maybe patients bring up financial issues. This is a younger dentist and a patient brings up and they say, look, but I can't afford that treatment. Or, you know, can you make it a little bit cheaper for me? And then they start saying, you know, I've got this young kid. And it's really, really sad. And I think that's a difficult one. It's still low SES areas. Um, I'm sure you may have a of faces. But I know my new grads have sometimes had, had, you know, that odd patient that comes in. And um, with those type of patients, you know, what I would suggest saying is, um, you know, never be judgmental at, at any point. Just listen to them and say, oh, look, until I understand. It, and I say words like it's an investment. I know all these feelings, it's a lot to take in. And yes, definitely it's a lot of money. I think in the long run, it's going to be investment. You're going to be able to eat and chew. And if we really think about it, you know, it's going to cost you a lot more in the future if you don't do it now. However, I see where you're coming from. You know, your pros is different. I, I don't know what you're going through. And I'll offer alternatives. Like we can't compromise on our fees because they're reflective of, you know, the materials we use, the time we put in, um, you know. But how about this payment plan option? How about this private health insurance? How about we break this up a little bit? So we're only doing the worst ones. You're saving a bit of money here and there and really just working towards them. And I think when they see that you're trying, like you can't compromise on those fees and it's a good standard to have because once you discount once, once you say okay once, you set the precedent. So mm-hmm. you, you just really shouldn't compromise on your fees, but you find little ways to show that you care and that you understand that they might not be able to afford the treatment. I think sometimes patients just need that. Um, and also the ones that they wanted, you know, just to get that extra amount of discount or whatever it is, they know look, they, they, that it's not going to work again. So I think that's probably another thing that I would Very add. Good. But apart from, that, apart from that, I think we covered a fair bit. And it was so interesting to chat with you about it, Jazz. So thank you for having me. It, it was absolute pleasure. And I also respect the fact that just now, even when you answered that uh, financial uh, situ- situation or the ex- explain that, again, you, you followed that pr- uh, principle that I mentioned in Raj Rata. You didn't quite say no to the patient. You said, actually, we'd still love to help you. But how about these alternative ways that might suit you better? And, I, and, I, and that sentence you said about our fees are reflective of the materials we use and our time like everyone should like internalize that I love that saying because sometimes when you're presenting those scenarios it's sometimes good to know a couple of canned phrases that you already got to sometimes yeah. uh, give you that thinking time to give you your, your more tailored response so that was fantastic I love that uh, where can we follow you on Instagram uh, and, and, and you know uh, now that you've got your medical law stuff in the background do you have a website where can you um, connect with you yeah, oh, actually, um, I need to update photos on the website. But my practice is Sunshine Family Dental. So um, our Instagram, I think, is Sunshine Family Dental Clinic. Um, and my Instagram is just V-E-E-W-H-Y-P. So like a V-Whip, but it's like V-Y-P. <laughs> 
So that's my Instagram. But yeah, um, you know, awesome just to see the practice. You know, we try and put little, um, we try and post, you know, a couple of posts a week. And each of the posts we have Instagram would be one about our staff, so personal one, one that's more like, you know, about all oh, periodontal disease or have a picture of that or opening hours and then little quotes. So yeah, so that's definitely where, um, you know, you can um, connect connect with me or the, or the clinic. Amazing. Thank you so much, V, for your time uh, and for your conversations. I really enjoy them uh, and hope to ke- catch you again one day. Thank you so much, Jazz. And I'll keep listening to your podcast. Definitely have to listen to that one, the, um, the author one. <laughs> well, there we have it, guys. How good was V's energy? I hope that this episode gave you some tools that you can use when you next encounter that quote-unquote difficult patient. Uh, this is the last episode of 2021, so I'm wishing you a very happy new year as we ring in 2022. Uh, I really appreciate your listenership, guys. Honestly, it means a lot to me. Hope you grow together during 2022. Hope you smash all our goals and look forward to learning together in 2022. If you wanted to give me a New Year's gift, like a 2021 goodbye gift, then I would love for you to share this episode with a colleague who you think might find the themes of this episode very useful. Anyway, thank you so much once again.